My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 149. If you're just discovering this podcast, it's the first time you're listening to it. Welcome to The Crew. Audio episodes go out every single Monday. Season 2 of our video series is ongoing on our YouTube and episodes there go out every Friday. Feel free to join our warm corner of the internet on Instagram. We're at Legally Clueless Podcast and on Facebook, same name, and on YouTube, same name. Links to all of those platforms are in our show notes for this episode. Oh, and I might as well say this here. I never do, actually. Um, I leave it to the end. But if you're not new to the podcast and you want to share your story on here, there is a link to a Google form in the show notes. Fill it out and I'll get back to you. Now, coming up in this episode is a very... It's powerful. It's a powerful story. But it's definitely heavy as well. And it touches on themes around domestic violence, sexual violence, specifically rape. And those are topics that could be quite triggering for some. For me, (laughs) it definitely was. And I'll get into that a little later. I'm about to play a clip of the story. So if those are topics that you can't really engage with right now, you may want to give this episode a pass. When I would work, I would give him my pay. She calls me and she says, Hope. And he say, everybody wonders why you're living with trash. And I say, what is trash? You know, who is trash? I don't get it. Then she says, your husband. It is being said he sleeps with all the house help you bring in. When he was beating me, it was not just slapping me, no, no. And one day, I hear my son's friend telling my son, because we were in a flat, I saw your dad with her prostitute. Yeah, he said that clearly in Kiswahili. And when it comes for my head, my son runs real fast and pulls him from the behind. And my son is telling me, Mama toka uende. That's a story we recorded during our tour and it's by Atieno from Kisumu. So we're going to get to that a little later in this episode. I hope you're doing well though. I hope your 2022 is carrying on okay. Am I the only one who feels like January this year is rushing? (laughs) Or maybe it's also because I have this project that is just really tough to crack and the deadlines are just coming closer and closer so I'm feeling like time is running out you know what I mean but yeah it feels like a much faster January than we're used to I guess that's one thing to be grateful for um this week I do have something on my gratitude list I hadn't really forgotten about them but I think a lot was happening (laughs) and I just didn't get to share so there's one thing on my gratitude list other than January moving quite fast. And I really have been thinking about it the last couple of weeks because I am in the process of unlearning something that, you know, I thought was not just the truth, but something that I kind of had found comfort in. That's it, actually. So I am unlearning that and it's quite challenging, I have to say. But I'm very grateful that I have the grace to unlearn. At no point have I wanted to give up. Moping about it, yes, has been happening (laughs) but I'm aware of it and I'm curbing the time that that happens so yeah what's on my gratitude list this week definitely that I'm graceful enough to unlearn and whatever is on your list it's maybe it's in your head right now I don't know this works for me just write it out get a notebook write those things out and maybe it's because I I really love words and I really love writing but I feel like whenever I do that I have like a deeper bond with not just the words but like the energy behind them so hey might work for you 
who knows the story in this episode is very long so i'm going to rush through this before we get to it the song of the week Ooh, i really love this song and i had completely forgotten about it and then i just rediscovered it and now i've been playing it over and over and over i like it because and my therapist is always telling me to do this whenever i'm sitting down working and either get overwhelmed or stressed she's just like turn on your favorite song get up and dance to be quite frank i've done that maybe three times because <laughs> like i don't know not used to it just yet but yeah the one song that this is really good for is the song of the week and it's by Tronada. i pray i attend a concert by him one day in my life and in this song he's featuring sid from the internet and the name of the song is you're the one again don't even know what the lyrics <laughs> who is this you who is the one don't know don't really care because what i love about the song is like the vibe that it has i hope you connect with it as well i've put a link to the song in the show notes all right let's jump into a hundred african stories as i said earlier we recorded this story during our kenya tour august 2021 one of the places that we went to was Kisumu and so Atieno was one of the storytellers we recorded that day and she's got such good energy. I still remember her coming on to set worried that she was a bit late but it wasn't like an uncomfortable lateness. It was just like a few minutes actually. Yeah but I'll, I'll never forget her energy. Now I have been scared to produce this particular story because it touches on rape at a point and I've been in a weird place in terms of healing from that space even today when i was working on this episode i have to admit yes i do love crying so crying happened <laughs> yes yeah, so i was i was really scared of producing it because I've just been going through a really intense time with that part of healing i've had a couple of triggers i've had a panic attack which i have to say hasn't happened to me in a while so i've been like staying away from from this particular story even though i've wanted to share it with you for a while but i was just like okay it's happening this week let's just like get on with it i say all that just sharing the effect it had on me it is a powerful story and i do know that i feel less alone while listening to a tiano story but that might not be the case for you if topics around domestic violence abusive relationships rape are things you can't handle right now again you may want to pass on this episode for now who knows maybe there's a day you could come back and listen to a tiano story a hundred african stories on legally clueless stories from africa I'm Atieno Lang, I'm a musician and uh, a YouTube content creator, I think that's what they call it. <laughs> I'm from Kenya, I was born in a small town, it was a small town by then, Homa Bay, by a 16 year old mother. My dad was also doing I think the sixth level at that time, from six. Growing up, there's a part I grew up in uh, South Nyanza with my grandfather. And that's why my son, who is my firstborn, I named after my grandfather. So I call him daddy because I loved my grandfather. He was my best friend. I grew up in a very protected uh, family, community, and uh, a very loved child. And I got to uh, go to among the best schools during that time. And uh, I remember when I was finishing my O-levels, things went a little bit down because uh, my mom um, owned, uh, I think there were four, four nursing homes. And by that time, there was an NHIF default or something claimed, and uh, it, it attacked her, her nursing homes. And my dad had uh, left uh, his work because he used to be uh, an accountant in the government, and he was now running the business with mom. So we went from 100% to 
down. But then this thing goes gradually, you know. At that time, I remember the first shocker for me was uh, we had to move from Milimani because that time I was in Kisumu and we had to go back to home in our village. The home was beautiful, beautiful, everything. It's just like another Milimani, but you're still in a village. Reaching town is a problem. Uh, you are a teenager and... Uh, the teens who come from your area don't know. Hey, one asked me, you know, like in my bedroom, I had posters of Boys On and Michael Jackson. And one asked me if Michael Jackson was my boyfriend. And I said, yes. <laughs> they actually believed it, you know. So you can imagine, yeah. No, that is where I am. I remember mom going to Mombasa with my siblings because uh, she, she was trying to find a way out. So um, we'd gone with mom, but I had to find my way back and do my O-levels because at that point, mom was like, you don't have to go. You can do it another time. But I was like, no, you don't have money for paying this again. And plus, I remember uh, we outsourced when we were looking for, when we were registering for my exams, we had to go to my friend's mom who actually gave us the money and mom had to give her her dining table. I can never forget that. So I told mom, no, I will find my way to Kisumu and do my exams. So here I am, 17, and I've been in this life where you're going to birthdays, there's a, a driver, you know, they drop you at the gate, the driver is there to pick you up. Life is wonderful. I think I was in my own world. Eh? La, 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 and life is beautiful. And uh, at that time, I came to stay with my friend now. And I remember we went for swimming. And uh, since my friend's mom used to deal with the oil, there were many people in their house. So you'd see many people when you go in. And uh, I remember seeing this one guy who used to be there. And uh, my friend would tell me, <laughs> oh, hope he likes you. But I'm like, he's old. When you are in your 17, someone in their 30s are old. And he's like, no, you see, his name is so-and-so. And he's like my boyfriend. So if you, if you can be with him, we'll have boyfriends with the same name. I'd never had a boyfriend. But I'm like, he's old. I couldn't get past the old part with the stomach you know so anyway we happen to be from swimming from swimming we are uh, i think we are four girls we meet him just out of the gate he's coming in with his prado if he's not prado is pajero one of those two cars i think they were the in thing eh when you're driving that is like whoo it's like a range rover or something <laughs> So we walk out and he's there. And he always had someone beside him that I came to understand was actually his bodyguard. His cousin, but his bodyguard. And uh, we meet them there and he says, hi, girls. And we say, hi, you know, we're happy. He says, can I drop you, girls? And me, I'm like, no, you, do, you can't. But my friend insists, you know. He goes in to get something, comes back for us and drops us. Everybody is dropped. I tell him, uh, I stay very far. And he says, there's no problem. I'll take you. It doesn't matter if it's in Nairobi. I will take you. I'm like, cool, let's go. So uh, we go home. Our trip home was very funny. He was uh, quoting me and his cousin or whatever that was was also quoting me at the same time i'm sitting at the back i remember i'm 17 we reach home my dad receives them very well my dad is very polite and uh, he asked my dad if uh, he can take me out i don't know i think he didn't know how to react to this and he says if it's okay with her there's no problem so we come back with him i go i change and we come back with him and uh, he tells me okay i have to go where i sleep which is in nyanza club and change 
and then we can go to dinner. So we reached there and I'm like, you stay in Nyanza Club? And he says, yes. I said, I never knew there were rooms in Nyanza Club. We play, we swim there all, all my life, you know? Like, you can come and check out the, the, the rooms, how they look like. I'm like, first I'm like, no. But he tells me, no, don't worry, you're safe. You come and check it out. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I go in and uh, he's showing me. I remember very well, you enter and uh, the toilet is on, uh, this is right, this is left side, yes. And when I go in to check, he locks the door. I, I had him locking the door, but for me, it was just like, ah, it's okay, you know. I've been seeing this person. It's not like a stranger to my eye. I don't talk to him really, but I have been seeing him in a safe place, you know. And uh, I walk, I see the room. It had two beds. It had a place for writing. Then uh, outside in a balcony, and then you could see the lake. It was beautiful. And then there's a tennis court, you know. Then I head to this lake. And when I come back in, he's on me and he's pulling everything and he's saying these sweet words they're not sweet he's not aggressive this is the funny thing he is not aggressive but he's locked the door he's on me and everything is coming out he's a man so at this time i'm thinking like how do people get out of this situation i don't know but what i know is uh, i find we are on the bed and i'm moving and i'm moving i realize i'm moving because of the pain when he's trying to penetrate it is so painful so i keep on moving you know and i'm telling him no stop it i don't want this but it's like nakupenda sana he was from tanzania so uh, he spoke kiswahili more before i know it we are on the other bed everything was a bit so fast and before I knew it, blood was all over the place. And for the longest time, I didn't even know I was deflowered. This is the most funniest thing. I think I never knew that when you're being deflowered, you're going to like uh, bleed. I just felt I was in my, on my period. I didn't even know I was raped for the longest time. It took me time to know I was. And uh, we didn't go for, for, uh, for dinner that day. All I remember is uh, he ordered, uh, we ordered food and it was brought in. And you know, this is a place where I've been since I was a, a little girl. So um, the following day, there were whispers all over the place. And they were saying, Olang's little girl has been deflowered. It was everything going on. And uh, Kisum is a small town. It's not really that big. Maybe nowadays, but those days, everybody's everywhere and everything, you know. I ended up even dating him. This is the most funny thing about it. Because when uh, we left the place, he took me to a um, petrol station and asked me, would you like to get something? This was in the morning. He wants to go for work, so he must drop me. And I entered in, and I think I took pad and a yogurt. He went, dropped me on my father's gate, and he gave me a thousand bob, two five hundred. I think that time there was no this one one, this one one thousand. He gave it to me, and he told me, I will come back for you in the evening. I didn't answer him. I just entered in. I was broken in a way, but I did not know um, whom to tell and how to tell it. And I felt like nobody would believe me because um, they would have asked, why were you in his room? And then again, I felt like he already took what was very precious to me. My virginity was precious to me. I intentionally never broke my virginity because I had a plan. Maybe most of girls have it to keep my honor. And for me, the person who took it was supposed to spend the rest of my life with me. That's how I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was a big part of a woman, you know? So um, I never got to have that sweet story. I don't know if people have sweet story about, you know, being deflowered and all. Now my mom comes to get me because now she is worried. As again, Kisumu is a very small place. She might have not told me I had A, B, C, and D. 
but she was worried. So she came for me and uh, we go to Mombasa. Of course, I've left all my friends. At that age, your friends means the world to you. And I'm in Mombasa now. I'm in 17. I'm looking for um, how to start my life. Basically, I can't go for further studies anymore. My parents are running for their lives. They are being looked for. They were always on the newspaper. Yes, the accounts have all been frozen. And uh, it's not a joke. And this, these were the children. We were people who had home in Milimani, Nairobi. We had a holiday home in Upper Hill. Mombasa, we would stay in White Sands. We go for our summer holiday. This was different. It was from 100 to zero in a span of one day. And nobody's warning you. What is going to happen? Um, so my mom, my mom took me to this uh, blind man. He's called Tom. And uh, he used to play a one-piece band. And I remember us walking into his house. It's called Container. They look like a container. We enter and my mom says, "This I am here and this is my daughter Hope. And she can sing. And uh, Tom says, okay, that's so fine. Leave her with me. And my mom leaves me there. And Tom asks me, can you, what can you sing? I say, uh, basically, I can sing uh, most songs, I think. Because <laughs> that's all I know. I know how to sing ever since in school. That's how people know me. And he, he asked me, can you sing Titanic? And I say, is this love? Is this my heart must go on? And he says, yes. I say, yes, I can sing. So he plays and I start to sing. And he tells me, can you come to work with me tonight? And I say, yes, I can. So that's how I joined the industry of uh, doing music in clubs or uh, hotels, you know. And I started singing, and uh, it was beautiful. <laughs> it was wonderful. I was, I was in heaven. I, I was living my dream. My dream was to sing. Then I started looking for a bigger band, something that could pay better, because uh, at that time I'm helping mom out. Uh, we have my younger siblings, and uh, we need to pay the rent and all this. So I get my first big band. And now this is a bigger set. It is different. It is full. And uh, I think they were now guiding me fully now how to handle myself and even my vocals on stage. And this is where I meet now uh, the love of my life. <laughs> I am young. I am naive, though I really felt I knew it all, and I had it together, and I had this strong personality. Our technician now, the nephew, is there. He's young also, and uh, he becomes this good friend of mine. Eh? Do you know that friend that you can never take away? Even when you try to go away, they, they seem always to be there. So we start this very weird relationship, and uh, before you know it, I'm expecting our firstborn. And uh, the funny thing about our relationship is, it started with me working, and him trying to find himself, I think. And uh, he was six years older than I. I remember him always uh, trying to find himself, trying he did not know what he was going to do with himself. He really didn't. I'm one of those people who are dedicated. So when we decided we were going to do this, I was in it. In fact, my parents thought I would give up because uh, it was really hard. For over nine years, if you are the sole breadwinner. And, uh, but those were the times that there was peace in our marriage. Those were the times I knew what peace was. <laughs> I was working hard. I was making sure that we had a roof over our head. There was food on the table. The children could get clothing, even him, because he also has to clothe himself, right? Because he was a man, my grandmother told me that... Uh, 
never take the manhood away from a man. When I was very young, I held that with me. And uh, when I would work, I would give him my pay. So he would take care of everything. If it was house rent, he had to go and pay. So when the landlord would come and ask me for money, and I knew I'd finished, I never understood what the landlord was asking for. So I remember one day I told him, I want to go and talk to the landlady and the landlord. I understand. Why do they keep on coming here? And he said, no, 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 I'm going to handle it. So later on, I came to understand that uh, he would pay money, but not all the money. And I think that saddened me. He never used to do anything in the house. So I didn't understand where he was taking that money. We lived. I basically lived through it, through our life. I think I lived closing my eyes and my soul to things that I felt like could make me unhappy. I think that's how I survived 15 years. So uh, every birthday of his, I would do something. There's a time I was expecting my, we were expecting our third child and we didn't have much. So that day I remember I went to uh, Nakumat and I bought queen cake and a candle, a birthday candle. Uh, I, my pregnancy was very big. I was so tired. At that time we was living at my mom's quarter in Nyali. And uh, he came, he had gotten just some kibarua, so he came home. So when he came, I didn't open because I was, you know, I'm really pregnant. So even coming up from down, uh, we were sleeping on a mattress down. So <laughs> coming up was a problem. You know, you have to una, eh, look for yourself and pull yourself up. I, I'm putting my, uh, my queen cake and uh, a small uh, candle on it. And then he rounded to the window and he's beating the window so hard. And I'm like, what is it? Just wait, I'm opening for you. Then I put, uh, I lighten it. So when I opened, he came in like almost pushing me, you know. And I'm like, what is it? Then he said, who was inside here? I'm saying, what do you mean? Then he looked and he saw the candle. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I thought you were with someone. I said, I'm almost giving birth. Why would I have someone in the house? I sang for him, happy birthday. When I had money, I'd make a very big party for him. Our people would come, my friends would come, his friends I would call, the ones that I knew, because I never knew his friends really. But he never even remembered my birthday in 15 years. And I remember I would always remind him so he would run to go get something. So there's a time I stopped and I wanted to see. So when I was turning 26, I remember sitting there, he came and he was lying on a couch and he slept. And I told him, I'm going to listen to my sister. My sister had a band and they were playing at Kahamas that day. So I went to Kahamas and when they saw me, all my sisters were there, their friends were there. When they saw me, they were so happy. So uh, they gave me a treat and I laughed and I laughed. And I'm one of these people whom when I laugh, tears just run down my cheek. And for that day, I remembered myself. And I said, this is me. And I had not been me for so long. And I asked myself, who had I been? I had never laughed for a long time. My life became my husband's life. I talked about what he loves, what he eats, how I cook for him. Like, that's all I talked about. I basically had no life. So I remember this time when we have our house helps. There's one house help that uh, I hired when uh, my third child was just around two months. And uh, remember, I was also around 25, 26. And this girl must have been around 18 or 17. And when she came looking for the job, you know, she just came, hi, I have problems and I need to work. 
And we clicked. And it was nice. It was a good relationship. Even if you came home, you wouldn't have known this was my house help or anything like that. We were like sisters and everything. Then one day, the girl just started being very rude. And I didn't understand. You'd ask her a simple question and the way she would answer you was like, what is happening? And I remember asking her, what is going on with you? Why are you so rude? And she just click, you know. So uh, one day I called her and I told her, I don't know what's happening, but in a home we can only have one woman. And unfortunately, we cannot have two. So you have to go. And uh, when she was leaving, I realized she was really expecting. She tried to say, oh, forgive me, but I said no. I want us to have a respect and love, you know. We've been together for a while. So I don't want this to make us to be enemies. So anyway, she left. We had another house help. This one was very happy. <laughs> and the children loved her so much. And I remember she loved making for the kids viazi with eggs. Anything she made, eggs had to be in it. <laughs> She loved it, but the kids loved it also. So I left her make it because I wasn't eating it anyway. So she became very round, you know, <laughs> in a short span, you know. But she was so good. A time comes where now she's expecting. She's sick. At first we think she's having malaria. So I try, you know, give her money, go to the hospital, do this, nothing. She's really sick. In this particular time, a friend of mine who used to have a kibanda, she used to sell uh, all this fruit and all this mama purity. And uh, she calls me and she says, Hope, there's something happening here. She used to call me Olang. And she said, there's something happening here. And I say, what is it? And he said, everybody wonders why you're living with trash. And I say, what is trash? You know, who is trash? I don't get it. Then she says, your husband. Everybody's wondering, well, how can a beautiful woman like this, where did she get this from, you know? And I say, why do they call him that? And he says, it is being said he sleeps with all the house help you bring in, you know? And I'm like, no, no, I didn't see that. I don't know how, but I didn't see it. But when I look back, it was so there, you know? <laughs> And I say, really? And he says, yeah, but you know your husband better. And I say, yeah. I didn't really continue with the conversation, but um, I was quiet about it. But that is the time where now Esther was expecting our house girl. And uh, this time I'm resting in my room. I'm from work. I'm tired. That particular time, uh, the father of my kids is in the living room. He's listening to music. So I need to go to the restroom and I must pass the living room to go to the restroom. <laughs> so I open the door and Esther is there. Her thigh is all wide open. No pant. I open the door and she got startled and put her thighs together. And I was surprised also because you, you, you don't expect to walk in and see that, you know. But I didn't ask her anything. No, I didn't. Because I think at the back of my mind, I felt maybe she just sleeps without a pant and open her thighs. You know, people sleep differently. But I looked at my husband who was sitting somewhere around there. And I asked him, what are you doing here? And he closed his eyes so tight and he wasn't sleeping. You can't close your eyes that tight. And he told me, I'm listening to music. That's how he answered with his eyes closed. And I said, really? I said, uh-uh, okay. I'm going to the loo. When I come back, if I find you here, you'll tell me really what you're doing. I went to the loo. When I came back, he had gone to the bedroom to sleep. I didn't address the thing at night. So I remember the following day after the incident, I uh, dismissed Esther. And I asked her to, um, to leave. 
and go and handle the sickness that she has. Because at that time, I think it was beyond me. It took lots of months. I even forgot about Esther. We were sitting down on a carpet. I remember there were these CDs. We were doing something. I was sitting there and uh, the father of my children there. And the door is just right ahead of us. So there's a, a door with the... Um, wooden door but a grill door so the grill was, was always locked and I see someone standing right in front of us talking it takes me time to realize I'm talking to Esther because she had lost weight she was thin very thin and I remember saying Esther is this you and she said yes mama it is me I say how are you doing she says I'm fine I asked her to come in but she declined and she said I just came to ask for my money I had left some money and I said I asked her to remind me how much was it and she told me and I told her to come on I think Friday so I can uh, pay her and I asked Esther how is your baby doing and uh, she told me mama I had lots of problems I uh, had a stillbirth it went and it uh, ruptured my uh, urine bladder so the urine would just come out and uh, Esther came from a very poor background the parents could not take her to the hospital at first. So she stayed for a while with this problem. And I think it was bigger than that because this is Festula. So when they finally put a way to take her to Nairobi Hospital because uh, she was coming from Okambani, after being treated, they couldn't even pay for her to come out. She really stayed in the hospital. And I think maybe there was a government, something happened that's when she was released. This entire time, my husband was sitting right next to me. He wasn't far because we were just sitting. He never uttered a word. His lips were dry. He was like, then I told Esther, I'm very sorry. I asked Esther if she would like to resume again. Esther jumped. She said, no, mama, thank you. It was like scared, you know? And I said, are you sure? Because I felt like she may need the money, you know? She said, no, no, thank you. I said, okay. So when Esther left, uh, my husband by then tells me, ah, you ninja. I'm like, what is wrong with you, you know? Didn't you heard what she just said? I think for the first time, I got to understand what I was dealing with. There was no humanity. That was his child. That was his child. Did he ever admit? Never. Who? Never. Never. He can never admit. It was his child. He knows it. I know it. I used to leave and come back several times. I remember I became a nomad in my own home. I was never at home. Once he started working and earning good money, I became, I didn't have a place of my own. I remember camping in my friends' houses and coming back because I have kids. And I remember him mocking me for it also. And it pained me. It pained me because I gave him a home, a stable home when he had nothing. And it rendered me a nomad when he had something. And it really pained me. Now, the last stroke for me now to really say this was over is when now the beating became beating and the rape became rape. Basically, I was just called Mama Daddy, but I came from Mama Daddy to being called Nyama. Letter your Nyama apa. And I remember one day he really beat me for nothing at all. Nothing at all. You know, I always say there is no reason why a man should ever put their hand on a woman. But if there was, any reason they could do it, there was none. Because I remember he had just convinced me to come. We had started living again. And uh, my daughter was going to school. Kids had gone to school. She was looking for her time. You know those ones you've moved in, things are still replaced. And uh, I told him 
because he kept on telling the child, go back in, you know. So the kid is traumatized. You know, she's like shaky in between. I said, no, let her go because she's going to be caned also in school for being late. I will sort these things out and I'm going to do what? To remove the tie. By the time she comes in, everything will be there. So my daughter goes and I go and I lock the door. So because he was coming, so I locked the door and told her to go because I know him. And when I locked the door, I went back to sit. He came and when he was beating me, it was not just slapping me, no, no, no. He comes with his hands like this. And it was always my head and my neck. And he presses my neck so tight that I couldn't even speak. And I was a singer. How do you sing when your neck has been pressed the entire night? This is morning. I was beaten black and blue. And I remember what I did was, because I had uh, my nails. So I kept on doing this, you know. And even the vest he wore, torn. Because I said, if I'm going to die here, let me have a piece of him somewhere where they can trace how I died. So he beats me. And at some point, I get a space and I run to the bedroom. And I, I went and I lock myself on the bed. And I remember putting myself like this because he comes. And I whisper and I say, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. At that point, I tell him that. He's quiet. Then he reaches out and he holds me. And I'm very scared because I'm shaking. And he tells me, uh, it's okay, it's okay. And I ask him, what have I done? And he says, I don't know, and I'm sorry. So at this time, I lift my head up, and I find him now taking a video of me, and he's smiling. I didn't understand it either. Um, the beating went on, and the sleeping out was a, was, was a normal thing. He leaves, and he comes back the following day, shamelessly, you know. And one day, I hear my son's friend telling my son, because we were in a flat, I saw your dad with her prostitute. Yeah, he said that clearly in Kiswahili. And I asked myself, it's okay if you want to have women. Why are you bringing them where your family stays at? I didn't ask him. I didn't like confrontations, I guess. And maybe I didn't want to be beaten also, you know. Uh, this time I'd given up. I was sleeping in the living room. He would come. I remember this was 31st. So he comes uh, first morning around 6. And he's like, I must have you. It is first you're my wife. I must open the year with you. And I said, no, no, I don't want anything. Leave me alone. We get to fight. He gets to pin me down. And uh, he gets to have his way because uh, he's stronger, of course. Um, I remember after that, when I was going to the loo, I felt a smell. There was a smell. I felt a smell. And I, I, um, I couldn't understand what I was smelling. So um, when I was wiping myself, at the back of the tissue, I could see blood. So I'm wondering, how am I having my period? Then I realized I was bleeding from my anal. This took three days. And I, I remember talking to him. And I told him, uh, this is what is happening. Please give me money so I can go to Maristop for them to see what is happening. Because I don't know what this is. And he looked at me with no feeling, no motion, nothing. Nothing at all. He never said a word. He never gave me money to go to the hospital. And I remember asking thinking that even if the love was over you know there must be humanity just humanity i didn't get any i felt like for a woman that you've known since was a young girl i was young you know given you four kids and trust me it wasn't an easy life some of the pregnancy i had to go look from boga kwabarabara when there was no job so when it comes after going to seek for job he would find food 
also to eat. I stayed, I stayed, because I felt we were building something. At that, that time, those were my end of times now, when I realized I cannot do this anymore. I realized this I cannot do anymore. I remember him coming home one day at 11, after he'd left the house at 12, and said he was going to meet with his friends. And he slept out. And uh, he came, I packed my things, and I'm ready to go. Because uh, he tells me every day I should leave. So I tell him, now I'm ready to go. Give me money so I may go. Because uh, my mom is no longer in Mombasa. She's in Kisumu. I can only go to my mom. Where else am I going to go to? I don't have a job. I have four children. So I go to back to mama, you know. He comes in. He starts arguing because I'm sitting at the dining table. And one thing lead, lead to the other. And he's coming again to beat me. This time, children are having their half time also. My youngest daughter is watching something just in the living room. I think my... Uh, other daughter and the youngest one are outside playing with their friends. My son is in the bedroom. She, he just joined from one. So as he comes for me, I think I'm making noise at this time. And I take the food. I remember throwing it at him because I have to defend myself. And that's the first thing I do. And when it comes for my head, because now my hands are somewhere like this, my son runs real fast and pulls him from the behind. And they go and they fall. I even see the TV going like this and I'm worried, you know, because I feel like the television is going to fall on them. He picks himself up because they fall like this. So my son is down, then him on top. So he picks himself and he's running towards me. I'm still sitting. I don't know why he just can't walk. He doesn't have to run because I'm sitting. But it comes like real fast. And when he's coming, holding me, my son again is on him. But this time it's pulling him as they walk, they're struggling as they go, and pins him on a wall. And my son is telling me, Mama, toka uende. Nilikuambio mtu atakuwa. Toka uende. And I'm shaking. I'm really shaking. And I had my microphones down here. I was trying to find a buyer so that I can find a way to leave. I'm telling him, no, I'm not going anywhere. This man has misused me since I was a young girl. If he wants to kill me, he will kill me today. I take one of the microphones and I start beating him with it. Because, you know, he, he has pinned him. So he, he's not going to run to me, definitely. So I stop. I think I was, like, in a shock. Because I just stop and I turn around. And I hear him telling our son that uh, to leave him, he's going to get his things, he's going to work. So my son leaves him. He comes back and he pulls something from behind the television. And he disconnects whatever was being watched. And he leaves. And my son comes back in and uh, connects it again. So I asked him uh, to call uh, his friends, because I called my cousin to come and pick me. And she told me I'm coming. She was at work, she's a lawyer. And she said, I'm coming. So I live with, I first live with my youngest daughter. Then uh, my friend Sophie comes to see me there, because she was driving. She says, Hope, let's go get the kids when that man is out. So we go back and I get my daughters with only few things. And my son says, I'm not coming. And I say, why? And he says, Mama, you know, I just joined from one. And you're still going to start looking for a job. I don't want to sit at home. And I say, are you sure you'll be safe? Like, no, I'll be fine. I, I think he trusted his father more than I did. I don't know. Or maybe he felt uh, his father was different with them. So I tried to ask him to come with me, but he says no. And I tell myself, you know what? Sometimes you can live with kids and later on they see you that you're bad. So let me leave him. I tell him, when you're ready to come, you let me know. So I leave. A friend of mine 
sent me money because I didn't have anything. So I happened to share with her. She was my best friend when we were in class seven. So I happened to call her and say, Tandy, this is what is happening. Because when I was being a normal, she's one of the people who used to house me in Nairobi. So Tandy's like, no hope. You need to leave that man. I told you he will kill you. So he sent me 7,000 shillings. I remember putting my kids early in the morning in a bus. But I, had, I could only reach Nairobi because the money was not enough for us to come to Kisumu. And I went to stay with my biological father. And uh, after a month, he gave me money and I came home to Kisumu. Coming home, it was really tough. I had nothing. I have kids. I can't even afford to take a painkiller when I'm having my periods. For some reason, periods became sickness, you know? When I was a girl, I never even knew what cramps were. <laughs> and here's a part where I'm bleeding, my stomach, everything is hurting. I can't, I can't take a painkiller, I can't afford it. I remember one time, I was having such a terrible stomachache. So when my mom saw me, she was like, where had you been? And I said, mama, my stomach was hurting so much. I had to just lie down on my stomach, say, why didn't you tell me? So I can send for you a painkiller. I remember there's a time kids are in periods, mom doesn't have money, I'm looking for money for parts. Just parts, simple parts. I couldn't have it. At that time, my son calls me. First, it's the father who calls me because I had stopped communicating with him completely because he gave me so much sadness. And he calls me and he tells me he's making noise, literally. I don't want this son of yours. He's not my child. He's fighting me. And I'm like, what is happening? You know, so I tell him to keep quiet and uh, call me later because I'm trying to process this. What is going on? Because he's also abusing me. And then immediately my son is also calling and he's telling me, my dad is abusing me. He has been abusing me for so long. And I ask him, why haven't you told me this? Why didn't you just call me and tell me? And I ask him, why is he saying that you're fighting him? He said, no, I didn't fight him. I defended myself, he says. He said, when I'm from school, I come home. I have nowhere to go. He's locked me out. I sleep at the landlord's. Sometimes he comes home, there's no food. He asks me, why didn't you tell me there was no sugar in the house? As I try to reply, he's kicking me and he's hitting me with fists. So I ask him, why are you beating me? He just keeps on beating me. It's just small things. The salt is out. Why, haven't you, why did you stay late? He says sometimes he comes home, he comes with sima in his pocket and he's giving me to eat. I tell him, no, I'm not eating sima from your pocket. Give me money, I go buy it. I make myself, you know. I don't know where you're from with this, you know. So that day it happened that uh, he had gone out with friend. They usually go to the beach. In Mtuapa there's a beach down. So they go work out a bit. So when he came back, his dad had locked the door. So he was at the landlord's place because uh, he has uh, boys like him there. And uh, when his father opened at last, his father started beating him. And he says with fist. So in beating me, I now was holding him to stop beating me. He was hurting me. And in the process he fractured his arm. And the funny thing is, he never even took him to the hospital. And it hurted me. I felt betrayed by him so much. All he had done, that one really killed my soul. Because I felt, even after that, no matter what had inspired, he should have had a father's love for his son and just took him to the hospital. He slept with a fractured hand. It was swollen. He was in pain. And when they're telling me all this, I don't even have a shilling. So I'm asking myself, hey God, what am I going to do? But then there used to be this man. I had done uh, some few songs and uh, put on a YouTube and uh, he came across it. And there's this... Uh, um, 
cover I did na kupenda and uh, he wrote down and he said because the lyric says ukinipenda leo nitakupenda pia and he wrote nitakupenda pia and i remember him reaching out and he started sending me money out of the blue he was uh, he's just a kenyan living out and he would send me something like 4005 and that day i saw like something coming just at the moment at that particular time I'm seeing a message coming in. Then when I looked it was from a bank, yeah? And when I checked on my WhatsApp it was him and he said Happy Mother's Day. And it was Mother's Day. And he even sent me a song by Maywood, Mother how are you today? And I remember seeing the grace of God in my life. I knew that was God. And after that I never heard from him again. And I remember telling my son, I'm sending you money tomorrow because I had to go. It was at night when they were calling. Withdraw the money and send. And I told my son, go and buy Ghana must go. And I called his father and I said, kindly allow him to take his clothes because I have no money for buying him any. And I remember his father telling me, "Oh, so you are the one who has been encouraging him." And I asked him, "What do you want me to do? You want me to leave him in a cold the way you have? I leave him become a chokora. If you I held and clothed, I gave you a place to stay when you could not find yourself. Now I should leave my son out to the world." I told him, "No, no, no. He's my child." He is my son. Whether he is bad, he is good, he is mine. Please just let him come to me. So uh my son came home. That time when my son came is when uh his father took in now his girlfriend and her children into what basically was my home with my children that I built things in. I worked hard to put things in the home and that's how everything I worked hard for was given to another woman. And I remember at this time I had gotten a job We were still sleeping down completely down and I told my kids just put your clothes on your head as I look for mattresses and my daughter was following the father on Facebook and this lady would take pictures on the couches with her children literally putting their legs up like this they tag with their father's uh, page and uh, some would come in her fat- their father's uh, Facebook screen and at that time my daughter was in form 3 now was uh, sitting for her class 8 and it would really disturb her and i told her stop looking at such things they're not necessary i told them that same god that enabled us to live there is the same one who will lift us up and not to worry about it and to forgive their father because i knew that uh, forgiveness was the way forward to this but even forgiveness in itself is not an easy journey it needs god's strength because i found myself relapsing lots of times things became stable at this point i am taking my children to school and uh, sometimes he would call and uh, he would send like a thousand bob maybe and when he sent a thousand bob he had a commanding voice he wanted to know lots about you lots about this you know which i felt was very toxic i put an end to it because i had my aha moment whereby uh, after let me just put it this nicely the when the corona hit things was difficult because remember I'm a musician there was no job here I am paying rent with four kids that I'm educating and I uh, was doing also I'd started also a business aside to help out and I used the money all anything you'd saved you know is gone and uh, here is where now you are evicted and I'm back home now I'm back home with my mom 
again. We are homeless again now. We are back home now. And someone calls you after a year of not knowing how you're doing, how you're eating, how you're surviving. And he calls and he tells you something like, oh, you know, I'm just changing a different business for my wife now. This one is not working at this particular time. And I tell him it's okay. I pray that God enables you guys again. And then he calls again. Oh, now this one for the dresses is not working out. So after some times, I told my mom. And my mom told me he's mocking you. He calls you to mock you. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. So that's when I had my aha moment. And I realized I had a relationship with myself. I was a shelter for him when he had none. And I think basically I realized he doesn't know what love is. He cannot give it because he doesn't know it. He doesn't know what respect is, so he cannot give it. So I made peace, even when he called his own children to mock them for not going to school because I could not afford to take them after that. I told them to forgive him because he doesn't know any better. Because according to him, he doesn't see what he's doing. I believe my journey is still longer, and I believe I have just started I believe I will go far. I surely do believe. Yes. I might be doing something I don't know called YouTube, but... <laughs> but I believe even that with God's grace, because I believe it is all in God's favor, it will go somewhere with me because it makes me happy at least. On my YouTube channel, I do storytelling and basically just my life and my family. So if you're basically just seeing my family and I believe we just different characters of people there. And I love telling story. I love telling. I have a dream of one day doing animation on African folk tales. And uh, so I usually just sit and tell stories. But it brings joy to me. My YouTube channel is uh, Akinola, just as my name. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. I hope you connected with Atieno's story and just how much power there is in quite a few things she was saying. And I'd also love you to check out her YouTube channel. There's a link to it in the show notes. It's called Atieno Olang Family, but just click the link and you'll find it. And I also thought that I would share a resource that I have quite a few times shared with other survivors of sexual violence. And I think I've shared this once before on this podcast. So there is a hotline that is run by Crew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-A-W and it stands for the Center for Rights Education and Awareness and it's a national feminist women's rights um, NGO here in Kenya and they do have a hotline which is 0800-720-186. I'll put it in the show notes as well and once you call this hotline you can get access to various survivor resources be it legal, be it psychosocial in terms of therapy, be it moving you to a shelter. I'm going to try and when it makes sense, obviously, as per the story in the episode, if there's a resource that I can share, if you're going through the same thing as a storyteller, I will find it and I'll share it with you. And even if it's not an issue that you're going through, amplify that resource. So like cruise hotline, I think Everybody should share that because you never know who might need to see that on your timeline or benefit from the resources that they have. All right, I am going to end this episode here, but not before I tell you that you can catch this podcast on Trace Radio in Kenya. Just head over to traceradio.co.ke. You can stream Trace there and you can catch Legally Clueless on Trace every Monday and Wednesday at 12 noon and 11 p.m. and Friday at 12 noon. I also forget to 
mention again that you definitely should check out our YouTube channel. A new episode from season two of our video series went out. It touches on grief and it's by one of my favorite people ever. Her name is Zippy. Ugh. From the first time I met Zippy, I just knew that I, I connected with her energy. So I'm sure you will find that to be a very powerful episode. So head over to our YouTube. And lastly, if you want to share a story on this podcast, fill out the Google form and I'll get back to you. Which Google form? There is a link to it in the show notes. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.